frequency of heaven I want to be Hello and welcome to the Frequency of Heaven podcast. This is Pastor Caleb Plum. I pray that you're having an awesome day and and that we're going to jump right into the Word of God today and try to learn a little lesson from the Christmas story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you and, and sometimes we need to slow down. I just pray if there's anyone that needs to slow down and to hear you and to be with you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Your sheep hear your voice. Speak to us, Lord. I just pray that we can hear you and know we are loved. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Come, Holy Spirit. And I pray, Matthew 2.11, that like those who came to see Jesus and they saw him, and they, they were in awe and they bowed down and they worshiped and they opened their treasures and they presented them. I pray that we could be those who come this Christmas and we behold Christ and we bow down and we offer ourselves to him. In Jesus name, we pray. Maybe you have felt like you don't have a whole lot to give to Christ. And uh, maybe you feel like this Christmas, uh, maybe you feel like your spiritual life is in shambles and you're disconnected, you can't hear God. Maybe you feel like your Bible study hasn't been going that well. You know, when these these guys in, in Matthew 2, uh, these wise men from afar, they show up to worship Jesus. They weren't really sure what they were getting into. They didn't know exactly what kind of savior or king this was going to be. They didn't understand all the details, but they brought something that was very valuable to them. And in worship, they gave that over. And, you know, I think one of the best things you can give Jesus this holiday season is your time. You know, you may not feel like you have a lot of money to give, <laughs> but be with him. Slow down. Your gold, your frankincense, your myrrh might be your attention. It might be your focus to turn down the noise. And that's what it takes to get on the frequency of heaven is to turn down the noise and to bring a treasure to him. I want you to think about, um, I, I, I saw a Christmas pageant last night, a, a kid's Christian uh, at the Blue Springs Christian Church at the kids' Christmas play. And it was cool. It was so much fun. And uh, they focused in on Egypt. And there's this little story. Well, let's actually just read it because it's right after what I had just read there in 2.11. There's not a lot about Egypt. But verse 12 of Matthew 2 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's the wise men. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. There's not a lot there. So they get up. They go in, in, in the night. They do it right away. Simple, quick obedience. God loves that. And they go. They go to Egypt. They stay there until the death of Herod. Then um, the prophecy is fulfilled from Hosea 11.1. 1, Out of Egypt, I'll call my son. Eventually, Herod, back up in Palestine, dies. And uh, then God gives Joseph another dream and says, okay, it's time to go back to Palestine. 
And you think about, uh, it, was a, it was a cool Christmas story, by the way. The play that my niece, Hope Orstel, was one of the singers, and she had a solo. And actually, the play was super cute because <laughs> um, the, the story, of course, here, there's not a lot said, but the play took this scripture and elaborated on it and had Mary and Joseph and two, three-year-old Jesus in Egypt making friends with some of the Egyptians. And then, of course, Pharaoh finds out, oh, there's another king. And so kind of like Herod, he wants to get rid of Jesus. And so they go back to Palestine. And so they took a little liberty there, but the songs were really cute. And um, my, my favorite part was these three little Egyptian, I mean, they were Egyptian women, but they were played by uh, three, probably third grade girls. And because Egypt is south of Palestine, these three little actresses, they all spoke as much as they could in a southern accent like they was from Georgia or South Carolina. And I'm telling you, I wish you could see these cute little third grade girls. They nailed the accent and it, it was really, really, really good. Uh, probably the best part of the play, little, little Jesus was a hyperactive two or three year old boy. And, um, there's one part, he was all over the stage. He really sat where he was supposed to for more than probably three seconds. <laughs> even his mom even had to come over and kind of help corral him. I mean, this kid was everywhere. <laughs> Wasn't bashful at all, but um, super cute. And the funniest part of the whole play was Mary, probably played by a sixth grade girl, turns to Joseph and says, oh, baby Jesus is so tired. We should probably go to bed. Well, during her line of saying that Jesus is like running circles around the stage, like, no, don't think Jesus is real tired right now. <laughs> it was so hilarious. But it really got me thinking about Egypt and it got me doing a little digging and doing a little research in this theme I started to really come alive about bringing your best, bringing your gifts to uh, to Christ. You think sometimes, well, I don't have a lot to give. But, you know, imagine you are someone from Egypt and, you know, Jesus, obviously he was there as a baby. But the tradition says that the uh, Mark, the one who wrote the gospel of Mark, uh, he was someone who traveled with Paul. He traveled with um, Peter. He spent a lot of time with Peter and the apostle Mark. And so he went as an evangelist, maybe around AD 40, about eight years after the resurrection. And he tried to start and did successfully tell people about Jesus in the country of Egypt. And the church really grew but imagine you're some of those first Christians hearing about Christ and you're like, man, you know, we, we were those who persecuted the Hebrew people. Pharaoh tried to kill all the baby. Isn't that ironic? You know, Moses had to be put in a basket, put out in the water because the leader of Egypt was trying to kill all the baby boys. And where does God send his baby son to protect him? <laughs> Egypt. You know, God can change and redeem anyone, any place, anytime. Um, I think it's cool. There's lots of interesting stories in the Old Testament with Joseph, who had all the older brothers, to Joseph, who had the coat of many colors. 
and uh, Jacob's son who had the dream that his brothers were gonna bow down to him and he ends up in prison. But there's dreams with that Joseph and there's dreams with the Joseph of the New Testament. And God spoke to those guys and there's just neat parallels. And it's kind of like God always had this plan for Egypt. Egypt was like a big bully. You know, they, they enforced slavery upon the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, and that's when Moses tries to be a deliverer. Eventually, God sends Moses to get his people out of harm's way, and he has to do the 10 plagues against Pharaoh, and finally, Pharaoh lets them go after the death of his firstborn son, and then there's the river, uh, or the, the Red Sea parts, and they cross, and all these miracles surrounding Egypt, and then, then it's, it's the place, it's, it's like this condemned dark place with false gods and and they had all these beliefs about reincarnation and build the pyramid because the pharaoh is going to come back it's just just a not a christian place and yet god had a plan god had and they had mistreated god's people throughout the centuries and yet god had a plan for them and it god used them to actually rescue his son. And so their past wasn't great. You know, I just got to thinking about all these Egyptian things um, after this play last night and how God used Egypt. And I got to do some research because I thought this was fascinating how Christianity first came there and then how it grew. And like I said, Mark is the one who is known to have taken the gospel there. But the history says after doing a little research and reading a few articles, history says that the people um, that lived in Egypt, they were pretty open quickly to Christianity. Remember Alexander the Great, he went down to Egypt about 300 years before Christ and he leveled a lot of things. He built the famous city, named it after himself, Alexandria, Egypt, the big famous library that um, many people talk about, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament was translated there. And so if you've studied anything about Bible translation, Alexandria, Egypt is a huge, huge um, site where a lot of translation was done. And God used Egypt. And, and Egypt was this place, though it had this dark past, that all these little stories start to come back and then God sends his son there. Mark goes and preaches the gospel there. But it, they they think it's really interesting because Alexander the Great had come and conquered Egypt. And so, you you know, Ra and all the, the sun god and all the gods of Egypt are being replaced by Greek gods. Well, then the Roman Empire comes and takes over and, and the people of Egypt have been run over and sacked by the Greeks. They've been sacked by their Romans. And, and so they'd had a lot of harshness come their way. So here comes Mark with the gospel message and they find out God used us to protect this little baby boy. Wow. They they find out that, you know, see, the people of Egypt from early on with the pharaohs, they believed in resurrection. They also believed in something called paradise, that there was a, a good place like heaven afterwards. Uh, there were several things in their religious belief. They believed in the concept of a soul, which some of the other religions around that time did not. And so they had been kind of bombarded by the Greek gods, bombarded by the Roman gods. Now here comes Mark 
it's almost like a fertile garden just needing some seed. They're ready to hear the gospel. And it was, especially Alexandria, it was a scholarly place for its time. They remember like Athens and Acts 17 with the philosophers, they would all sit around and they talk about the newest, latest ideas. And it, it was a scholarly, philosophical place where there would be universities and people would want to learn and grow and study their mind, which was fairly new at that time in history. But the, the place where they would, there in Egypt, they were like that and they wanted to study and they wanted to know the deeper things. And, and actually Egypt would be a place where debates would be held and the Christians who had become Christian from Mark and the church had grown and they had really become a stable Christian community in Egypt, eventually some of their scholars who came out of that Egyptian church would rise up and they would win some important debates and theological arguments, things about the Trinity even, and, and some of the things about God and, and being a monotheistic religion, not a polytheistic religion. God used the scholarly minds of the people of Egypt in powerful ways in the first three, 400 years of Christianity. Talk about redemption from, from enslaving God's people to build pyramids to being a key church. And, and they believe uh, that the, what's called the Coptic church, it's still very active and strong in Egypt. It would be much more like the Catholic church of, of our day. But they believe they, the church there today still traces its direct roots to Mark coming there and preaching them the gospel. I mean, it's been a, the community of Christianity has been going on that long in Egypt. You know, America hasn't even existed for, uh, nearly that long, let alone be able to trace our spiritual heritage to one of the actual followers of Jesus bringing the gospel there. I mean, it's pretty impressive how Egypt has been used throughout history by God, but it didn't start that way. You know, most of the time when you have a bully, like Goliath, you know, in the Old Testament, Goliath is taken out. There's not, there's, there wasn't a lot of redemption for Goliath. But Hebrew, the Hebrew people were kind of like a bully. I, sorry, sorry. The Egyptians were kind of like a bully to Moses and all, all the Hebrews. But God, through his, his plan, wasn't to completely level and take out the Egyptians. His plan was to save them. His plan was to deliver them. It makes me think of Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 and 22, that Jesus is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And in every name to be named, Christ is, he's above them. Now think about that. Jesus is far above all rule, authority, above Pharaoh, above all uh, Alexander the Great, above all the Roman emperors, all the things that went through Egypt Jesus came with a, he hid away there as a baby, but he came back and he brought a message. He brought a powerful transformation and those people received Christ. In fact, the ground was fertile for the receiving of Christ when the time was perfect. I want you to think about, as we talk about this, the famous verse from uh, Romans 8, 28, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now you can see that. You can see that God took 
a, a wicked, evil place that worshipped false gods and believed that Pharaoh was a god and they would have a pyramid. They put all kinds of things in there because he was going to reincarnate and he wanted to have treasure when he came back. And so all their false beliefs, but Jesus eventually would send his workers there, save souls. No one's too far out of reach. God works all things for good. And it's so interesting. Their belief in the afterlife, their belief in the soul, their belief in resurrection actually made them more open to Christianity than all the Roman religions being thrown at them by those who had conquered them. Let me read to you Colossians 1.23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you heard, and it's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, I've become a servant. This gospel, it's not just for me. It's not, it is for every soul, even the ones that you look at right now, and they're far from God. You know, maybe you're a Democrat, and you can't stand Republicans. Maybe you're a Republican, you can't stand Democrats. Well, guess what? The gospel, it says here, it is for every creature under heaven. And you and I are to hold firm, established, not moved from the hope. There is hope. I mean, if God can turn Egypt into a place of slavery and a place of false gods, and Pharaoh wouldn't even let God's people go and worship in the wilderness till his own son died, to being a powerhouse center for Christianity and being a place of redemption that um, God used to spread the gospel. God, God can change and he can, he can move in anyone. There's hope. We can't give up on people. We can't give up on places. We have to extend that gospel message. We have to believe, Romans 1, 16, in the power of the gospel to change lives. So what I love about that little um, story last night, the Christmas play over in Blue Springs, Missouri, was this focus in on Egypt. And it was, yes, a place that tried to kill Pharaoh and all those baby boys, but in a, in a, in a kind of a spiritual irony, it actually became the place that protected Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, there are people and there are dark things around us that, you know what? If Jesus could come in there, just like Jesus came into Egypt, if Jesus could get into the life of that guy on death row, if Jesus could get into the life of that, that person who hurts you, if Jesus could get into the heart Wow, he could bring an incredible change. It may not be instant, but it says there in Colossians 1 that there's a hope and there's a power and it's for every creature, every person. And some people, I think it's interesting, Paul says, for every creature, because there are some people you might know and you're kind of like, that person is more of a creature. <laughs> you know, they drive you nuts. They're an animal. Well, guess what? The Bible in Colossians 1.23 says for every creature, God, we are here today. We want you to bring your love into our hearts. We want to get on your frequency. We want to receive you. And Lord, we know before we met Jesus, before we fell in love, before we had our sins washed away, we were like Egypt. We at times were not kind. We were mean and harsh. 
Well, we may not have enslaved people like they did, but we, we were not who we should be. But Jesus, you came into our hearts. You softened us and the gospel did a work. And Lord, we want to extend that grace. We want to extend the hope of Christmas that you can come into any city. You can come into any heart, any place, and you can bring transformation. You're the God who brings transformation. Help us not to quit. Help us not to give up on people. Let love be patient. Let love be kind, not boastful, proud, or rude. And God, I just pray for everyone listening. They would have an incredible Christmas and know that you still sit on your throne and you work all things for good according to your purposes for those who love you and and are called according to your purposes. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, have an awesome week, beloved.